For our scripture reading, turn to the prophecy of Isaiah. We start reading at verse 21 of chapter 44. And it speaks about the forgiveness of sins. And the end of chapter 45 will speak of the, the people of God read, uh, that are justified and glorying in Jehovah. And we read this in connection with the teaching of that we're justified by faith alone. We begin at verse 21, chapter 44. Remember these, O Jacob and Israel, for thou art my servant. I have formed thee. Thou art my servant, O Israel. Thou shalt not be forgotten of me. I have blotted out as a thick cloud thy transgressions, and as a cloud thy sins. Return unto me, for I have redeemed thee. Sing, O ye heavens, for the Lord hath done it. Shout, ye lower parts of the earth. Break forth into singing, ye mountains, O forest, and every tree therein. For the Lord hath redeemed Jacob and glorified himself in Israel. Thus saith the Lord, thy Redeemer, and he that formed thee from the womb. I am the Lord that maketh all things, that stretcheth forth the heavens alone, that spreadeth abroad the earth by myself, that frustrateth the tokens of the liars, and maketh diviners mad that turneth wise men backward and make their knowledge foolish, that confirmeth the word of his servant and performeth the counsel of his messengers, that saith to Jerusalem, Thou shalt be inhabited, and to the cities of Judah ye shall be built, and I will raise up the decayed places thereof, that saith to the deep, Be dry, and I will dry up thy rivers, that saith of Cyrus, and notice that this was roughly some a couple of hundred years before the, the days of Cyrus, before Cyrus was the, the king of Persia. And yet this prophecy of Isaiah makes a specific reference to that. That saith of Cyrus, he's my shepherd and shall perform all my pleasure, even saying to Jerusalem, thou shalt be built, and to the temple, Thy foundation shall be laid. Thus saith the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have holden, to subdue nations before him. And I will loose the loins of kings, to open before him the two-leaved gates, and the gates shall not be shut. I will go before thee, and will make the crooked places straight. I will break in pieces the gates of brass and cut in sunder the bars of iron. And I will give thee the treasures of darkness and hidden riches of secret places, that thou mayest know that I, the Lord which call thee by thy name, and the God of Israel. For Jacob my servant's sake, and Israel mine elect, I have even called thee by thy name. I have surnamed thee though thou hast not known me. I am the Lord, and there is none else. There is no God beside me. I girded thee, though thou hast not known me, that they may know from the rising of the sun. And so it speaks also of the gospel going to the nations, the word of God going forth to the nations, that they may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none beside me. I am the Lord, and there is none else. I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. Drop down, ye heavens from above, and let the skies pour down righteousness. Let the earth open, and let them bring forth salvation, and let righteousness spring up together. I, the Lord, have created it. Woe unto him that striveth with his Maker, let the potsherd strive with the potsherds of the earth. Shall the clay say to him that fashioneth it, What makest thou? Or thy work, he hath no hands? 
Woe unto him that saith unto his father, What begettest thou? Or to the woman, What hast thou brought forth? Thus saith the Lord, the Holy One of Israel and his Maker. Ask me of things to come concerning my sons and concerning the work of my hands, command ye me. I have made the earth and created man upon it. I, even my hands, have stretched out the heavens and all their host have I commanded. I have raised him up in righteousness and I will direct all his ways. He shall build my city. He shall let go my captives, not for price nor reward, saith the Lord of hosts. Thus saith the Lord, the labor of Egypt and merchandise of Ethiopia and of the Sabaeans, men of stature shall come over unto thee, and they shall be thine. They shall come over thee, and chains they shall come over, and they shall fall down unto thee. They shall make supplication unto thee, saying, Surely God is in thee, and there is none else. There is no God. Verily thou art a God that hidest thyself. O God of Israel, the Savior, they shall be ashamed and also confounded, all of them. They shall go to confusion together that are makers of idols. But Israel shall be saved in the Lord with an everlasting salvation. Ye shall not be ashamed nor confounded world without end. For thus saith the Lord that created the heavens, God himself that formed the earth and made it. He hath established it, he created it not in vain, he formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord, and there is none else. I have not spoken in secret in a dark place of the earth. I said not unto the seed of Jacob, Seek ye me in vain. I, the Lord, speak righteousness. I declare things that are right. Assemble yourselves and come. Draw near together, ye that are escaped of the nations. They have no knowledge that set up the wood of their graven image and pray unto a God that cannot save. Tell ye, and bring them near, yea, let them take counsel together. Who hath declared this from ancient time? Who hath told it from that time? Have not I the Lord? And there's no God else besides me. A just God and a Savior, there's none beside me. Look unto me, and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God, and there's none else. I've sworn by myself. The word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return, that unto me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear. Surely shall one say, In the Lord have I righteousness and strength. Even to him shall men come, and all that are incensed against him shall be ashamed. In the Lord shall all the seed of Israel be justified and shall glory. So far we read from Holy Scripture. What we read in all the rest of Scripture, the basis for the teaching of our Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 23. There we read. What doth it profit thee now that thou believest all this? That I am righteous in Christ before God and an heir of eternal life. How art thou righteous before God? Only by a true faith in Jesus Christ, so that though my conscience accuse me that I have grossly transgressed all the commandments of God and kept none of them, and am still inclined to all evil. Notwithstanding God, without any merit of mine, but only of mere grace, grants and imputes to me the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ, even so as if I never had had nor committed any sin. Yea, as if I had fully accomplished all that obedience which Christ has accomplished for me, inasmuch as I embrace such benefit with a believing heart, why sayest thou that thou art righteous by faith only? Not that I'm acceptable to God on account of the worthiness of my faith, but only the satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ is my righteousness before God, and that I cannot receive 
and apply the same to myself any other way than by faith only. Dearly beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, there's instruction in this chapter about the bringing of the gospel to the nations. And about fundamental doctrines to bring forth as we witness to others. Speaks of the blotting out of sin. We read that. Speaks of thus God's people being justified in the Lord and that they glory in him. And that's the subject we talk about this morning, the justification. We're righteous before God by faith. In connection with that are some fundamental truths that are set forth here concerning God's sovereignty, concerning God always accomplishing his purpose. And that is fundamental to understand. Fundamental in bringing the word to people is to understand that doctrine which is often denied, that God always accomplishes his purpose. In creation itself, he spoke and he created in six days, in six real days, that it happened just as it says. And what God desired to create, he created. We would acknowledge that if anybody that, that teaches the truth concerning creation. And it's important to bring out that it happened precisely as God tells us in his word. But also the idea of the decree of God and that God's counsel stands. In fact, in chapter 46, the next chapter is a chapter that we often quote and our young people memorize. Or at least they learn. They learn to that this is a proof text. In verse 10, chapter 46, the next chapter, this is a proof text that God always accomplishes his purpose. My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. Well, that was to be impressed upon people as word concerning this prophecy of Isaiah went forth, that long before there was Cyrus, that God had said what Cyrus would do. An emperor, people would hear about him in, he, in the... In a wide area, the empire, the Persian Empire, was a large empire. And that many would hear about what Cyrus the Persian was doing. And then to come to understand that long before there was Cyrus, God had said Cyrus would do this. And in such a way that he brought out also the sovereignty of God. He spoke about how he is directing all things. I girded thee, though thou hast not known me. And fundamental in bringing the gospel is getting forth that truth, that fundamental doctrine, when witnessing to others that God always accomplishes his purpose. And how again and again you see this, my counsel stands. And then when you apply that to salvation, when you pry that to the subject of the forgiveness of sins. When you teach that God always accomplishes his purpose, then with that is the idea that he will save everybody he intends to save. And that the reason why some believe when others don't is because Christ died for them, purchased them faith, and the spirit of Christ works faith in them. And by faith, they're justified. 
and they hear the good news. And they, and then they, they, they believe by, uh, that they believe the good news as they hear it. God works in them that faith. And also from the point of view of when bringing the word of central importance it is to teach people about the forgiveness of sins. How art thou righteous before God? How important it is to know the answer to that. See, many people would like to tend to look at things they've done. Or look at their activity of, in, of inviting Jesus in, as they sometimes call it, as if that's the basis. Where we're not saved on the basis of any activity we perform. The question that's asked actually is how? How art thou righteous before God? And the answer that's given only by a true faith and then it explains it what does that mean this is fundamental to understand this truth and what a joy to have the comfort of the forgiveness of sins and those who know their sins are forgiven are thankful to know that you're righteous before God this this doctrine on the one hand it's there's a lot of points that we need to understand but on, on the other but it's also the case that we have to read that read this and apply it to ourselves I'm righteous before God I'm forgiven my sins are washed away and how important it is to hear to know that and that those who know that they glory in Jehovah. They rejoice with great joy, knowing that their salvation is all of him. We consider this Lord's Day under the theme, justified and glorying in the Lord. We consider, first of all, justified in him. Secondly, believing in him. So looking first at the subject of justification, and then we'll bring in the idea of what does it mean by faith. And then thirdly, glorying in him. Justified and glorying in the Lord, as it says in that last verse of chapter 45. To justify is to declare righteous not to infuse righteousness. It means to declare righteous. Now, at least a question, what does it mean to be righteous? Right, to be righteous means that one's nature, their thinking, their acting are in harmony with God's will and thus with God himself. So the idea of righteous has the idea that one is righteous, you think of a standard. One who's righteous, his thinking and his acting are in harmony with some standard. The will of God. Now to declare righteous means that God, Christ's righteousness is reckoned to us or imputed to us. Now that word, what does it mean to impute? To impute means to reckon to our account. That's the idea of imputing. So when we talk about declaring righteous, it's not a infusing of righteousness it's rather a declaration of righteousness we talk elsewhere about in 
God infusing into us faith, obedience, and a consciousness of his love. But that's but when we're talking about justification, then we're talking about how that God declares us righteous. The opposite is to condemn, as many of our young people know. And as we should know, that the opposite of justification is to condemn, to declare one that is the judges. In Deuteronomy 25, verse 1, judges were told that when they were to hear a controversy about the different sides in a controversy, that would come to the judge and they'd hear what this person says, they'd hear what this person says. They were to justify the righteous and condemn the wicked. Meaning they were to declare the righteous to be righteous. And they were to declare the wicked to be guilty. They weren't to do the reverse. And that's what we say that the false church does. The false church turns it around and the false church says to those that are doing what they should do, they find fault with them. And those that are doing what they ought not, they don't speak against it as sin as they ought. So the opposite of to justify is to condemn. So this is a legal act, a judicial act, when we talk about justification. Christ's righteousness is imputed to us. His obedience becomes ours, is reckoned to our account. That's amazing. That Christ's righteousness is reckoned to our account. Now that's the way the Belgic Confession refers to it. Statements like this in the Belgian Confession in Article 22 that God is, that Christ imputed, but Jesus Christ imputing to us all his merits. And again, we have to read this not only from the viewpoint of understanding the doctrine, but hearing that being said about you, that Jesus Christ imputing to you, he imputes imputes to you all his merits and so many holy works which he has done for us and in our stead. All his merits and so many holy works which he did for you in your stead, he imputes that to you, reckon to your account. Christ's righteousness is your righteousness. We speak of ourselves relying and resting upon the obedience of Christ, crucified alone, which becomes ours when we believe in him. This is sufficient to cover all our iniquities and give us confidence in approaching to God. Now, when we speak of Christ's righteousness being our own, our righteousness, we say it's not our own righteousness. We don't have any righteousness of our own. The only righteousness that can be approved of for the tribunal of God, the judgment seat of God, has to be absolutely perfect. And this is a key point, a point that Jesus was making, a key point when witnessing to people. Because people can think, they hope that when they die, they'll go to heaven. They, many people know very little about the scriptures. They may say, there may be a number of people that would say that they do believe in Jesus, even though they know very little about what the scriptures say about him. They might say they're a Christian. They may say, oh, I really don't go to church or anything, but they would say they're a Christian. What do you think is going to happen when you die? Well, some people say, well, they don't really know. They hope they'll go on to some better life. 
why do you think you, you might go on to some better life? People think, well, I mean, I know I've, I'm a sinner. I mean, I know I've done things bad, but I, mean, I don't know if it's been that bad. I think I've been better than a number of people. Now, key, if somebody talking that way, key to bring out to them is that the righteousness that can be approved of by God has to be perfect. You have to be perfect? Yeah. That leads us to consider why we need Christ. And to believe, to turn from, to turn away from sin to God, believing the gospel concerning Christ. Well, it's of fundamental importance to understand that we don't have any righteousness of our own. There are different wrong explanations to this idea of what does it mean that we're not justified by works? If somebody says, well, that means we're not, done, we're not justified by works if they are done to merit. Even if somebody's works were not, if they would say they didn't do them to merit, it would still be the case that they're not justified by those works. Again, because God requires perfection. And that would still be our own righteousness then. To teach that, well, you're justified by your works as long as those works weren't done by to merit. That's not the case. You're not justified by works, period. By your own works, period. Or if somebody says, we're not justified by works of the ceremonial law and that that's, that's what was being taught in the epistles of Paul. It was being that they, it was teaching against the Jewish idea that you would be that you would be justified by keeping the ceremonial law. And so that at the point was you're not justified by works of the ceremonial law. Well, it's not, it's the law that's spoken of when it says that by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified. No flesh says by the deeds of the law there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. Well, what is the law by which is the knowledge of sin? It's not just the ceremonial law. But we go through the Ten Commandments and say that those, ten, that, 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 those, those commandments show us our sin. And the sum of the law teaches us about our sin and our misery. It simply is not by any of our works. We are not justified by any of our works. Nor are we justified on the basis of, and now we're getting over to the subject of faith, it's not that we're justified on the basis of our faith. And there are many people that do know something about what the Bible says that would say, no, I know, I'm not justified by my works. I know that. It's not by my works at all. No, it's not my works at all. And then if you were to say, do you, do you think God desires to save all human beings? Yes, he does. Why are, are some, are, is everybody saved? No. Why are you saved? If you say you're saved, why were you saved? Well, I accepted. Well, now you're talking about some activity you performed. And you're viewing that as being somehow the basis for why your sins are forgiven. It's not by works, but you just said the reason why you're forgiven is because of an activity you perform. By faith, justified by faith does not mean justified because of our faith or on account of our faith. It does not mean that. It means we're justified by the instrument. Faith is 
an instrument. It's not a condition. It's an instrument. Now one may wonder, why is faith the instrument? And that, to understand that, why faith is the instrument, we have to consider what faith embraces. By faith, we embrace Christ. And that's the key. Faith is an instrument, as our creeds say. Faith is an instrument that keeps us in communion with him. The instrument. We rely and rest upon the obedience of Christ crucified alone. As Belgian Confession 27 says, we do not mean that faith itself justifies us. It isn't that faith itself justifies us. It's an instrument with which we embrace Christ, who is our righteousness. And that brings up the significance of faith. Justified as one who is believing, one who is believing the gospel is justified. One who hears the gospel of Christ, the truth concerning the resurrection of Christ, that he is fully atoned, that he is fully satisfied for sins. And that's key. That's key to understanding this whole thing is that we're, that we're not saved on the basis of any activity we performed means Christ did enough. He satisfied, and the idea of satisfied, that term that we often use, has that idea that Christ did enough. And we're saved solely on the basis of what he's done. He purchased for us the blessing. He reconciled us to God. He purchased for us the blessings. He arose, he ascended into heaven, received the Spirit by the Spirit. He works in us faith. He applies to us that which he purchased and that's why some believe when others, when others don't. And the gospel then sets forth that. Preaching the gospel is setting forth this truth concerning the forgiveness of sins and that one is righteous in Christ. Having no righteousness of his own, embracing Christ, our righteousness. And that idea is found in the Old Testament prophets. It's not just it's not just in the New Testament. Of course, we sing of it when we sing the Psalms. And we sing about God forgiving us and the happiness of, of the man that knows that he is forgiven. That as you recall, it says that that is the happiness of man. That's quite the statement, that that's the happiness of man. Uh, David and Paul teach us that this is the happiness of man, that God imputes righteousness to him without works. Somebody hearing that? happy that's true happiness to hear that and that's proclaimed in the gospel and the good news is proclaiming the gospel is always about Christ that's why we stress that that's why we stress when we talk about what's the gospel and sometimes people just say that's the word of God well more specifically Yes, that's true. Preaching the gospel is preaching the word of God. But when we're preaching the gospel, what is the message? What is it that we're saying? What's being brought out centrally? And centrally, it's that truth concerning salvation in Christ the mediator. And that we're righteous in him. That is clearly central. Of course, many hear that and they don't repent. 
Many hear the gospel preached and they reject it. They don't want to turn from their sin. They hear the call, repent. Believe the gospel. Turn away from your sin. They don't hear about righteousness in Christ and then with, without also hearing the command to repent and believe. There is the promise of the gospel and the command to repent and believe both go forth. And many as they hear that calling, repent, turn away from your sin. Well, they don't want to turn away from their sin. They refuse. Many times they'll deny that what they're doing is a sin. They say, well, you say it's wrong. I, I don't find any problem. I don't find any problem with it. Well, the question is, what does God, what does God say? Many don't, many don't turn. And of course, that's very sad. When there's people that, you know, we go out and preach the gospel and there's many that are going to reject the word. Sometimes we have people that reject the word that we know personally. We talk to them and they do not turn. And when those do not turn, as time goes on, that they get even worse. But then there's others who, by the grace of God, believe. And who know that they're forgiven. That they're justified. That they're forgiven. And they are thankful. They're thankful as they gather from week to week to hear the word proclaimed. Now this, this Lord's Day, another point with regard to this Lord's Day is to see how it connects this doctrine of justification with doctrinal preaching. What does it profit thee now that thou believest all this? this is, that's a very short question and answer. But it goes through these doctrines and it explains them. And then after it goes through these doctrines, it says, so what does it profit thee now that you believe that? Which is a question that one might ask from the, why do you, why do you make so much of doctrine? You guys talk so much about the doctrine and, I don't know if it really makes that much difference. People argue about doctrine all the time. It's just how we live our life. Well, how we live our life is very important. It is very important we're showing our thankfulness to God. It isn't to be the case that we're arguing about distinctive points of doctrine and then in our life we're backbiting and we're slandering and we're treating people. It should be the case that we're showing our thankfulness in our life. But the answer to the question, what does it profit thee now that thou believest all this? It says that I am righteous in Christ before God. If you answered that to somebody that didn't know our catechism, they wonder, what do you mean? You're righteous in Christ before God? First of all, do you mean that if you believe the right doctrines, because you believe the right doctrines, you're righteous in Christ before God. Is that what you mean? I said, it didn't say because, no. No, it's not that I am righteous be before God because of what I believe. But this Lord's Day is teaching about the connection between faith and justification. The first, that's why we first talked about what it means to be justified, and now we're bringing up that idea of faith. We talked about how faith is an instrument, embracing Christ, our righteousness. Now, looking at it from the viewpoint of the different doctrines that we hold to about Christ, about his satisfying the demands of God's justice, about the resurrection from the dead, about him quickening 
working in his people and quickening them without, and salvation being unconditional, the different doctrines that we hold to that all bring out the idea that salvation is entirely of God, that Christ did enough, that he atoned for the sins of his people, limited atonement. What does it profit thee now that thou believest this? I'm righteous in Christ before God and an heir of eternal life. Now the next question then is, how, how art thou righteous before God? That you say you're righteous before God? You seem like you're a sinner to me. You seem like you're a sinner just like I am. What do you mean you're righteous before God? We say, well, I am. I am a sinner just like you. I have a depraved nature. Out of which comes nothing good. But I say, and I am, I am, I know it's true, that I am righteous in Christ before God. How is that? Only by a true faith in Jesus Christ. That's the short answer. There's a, it's a longer answer, but that's the short answer. That's how it starts. Only by a true faith in Jesus Christ, so that though my conscience accuse me, my conscience does accuse me, that I have, not just other people, I have transgressed, I have grossly transgressed all the commandments of God. You say to somebody, somebody says, you have? Yes. You may wonder, what, what have you done? Well, we go through the Ten Commandments and say, what well, do you see what God really requires? We don't look at the commandments of God superficially and say, well, I, I haven't killed anybody, you know. I haven't gotten a divorce and married somebody else. We don't look at it just externally. We look at what God requires, and then we say, I've grossly transgressed all the commandments of God. My conscience accuses me. I've kept none of them. I haven't kept a single one. And I'm still inclined to all evil, still today. The regenerated child of God, I'm still inclined to all evil. Notwithstanding, God, without any merit of mine, not on the basis of some activity of opening my heart and accept without any merit of mine, merely of grace, grants and imputes to me, reckons to my account, the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ. The perfect satisfaction, the righteousness, the holiness of Christ. He imputes that to you and to me. Even so, and then this serves to bring out more that idea of imputing, reckoning to our account, even as so as if I never had had nor committed any sin. Sometimes people remember justified means just as if I'd never sinned. And that's true. The catechism go, does go on. It says, in, in addition to saying that, as if I never had had nor committed any sin, goes on and says, yea, as if I had fully accomplished all that obedience which Christ has accomplished for me. That's that idea of reckoning to one's account. As if you accomplished all the obedience Christ accomplished for you. And then the phrase with regard to faith, 
inasmuch as I embrace such benefit, or the idea of when I receive such benefit, inasmuch as I embrace such benefit with a believing heart. And so again, it brings up the subject of faith. And then when the question is asked, why sayest thou thou art righteous by faith only? Then again, it says, not that not, not that I'm acceptable to God on account of the worthiness of my faith. That's not the reason. It's not on account of. But, and we already, only the satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ is my righteousness before God. But that I cannot receive and apply the same. This is the idea of faith. I cannot receive and apply the same to myself any other way than by faith only. And those who are righteous by faith have peace with God. And for a person to hear the gospel and turn away from their sin to God, believe, believing that gospel, knowing their sins are forgiven, they have peace with God. Many do not have. Most do not have Peace with God. Have peace with God. To know, to say, I'm saved by grace alone. I'm righteous in Christ before God. I'm an heir of eternal life. The one who knows that glories in him. And the chapter that we read spoke about God's sovereignty, him as the creator, his who, the one who sovereignly controls and directs all, who will certainly save his people, who would bring his people back from Babylon, making use of Cyrus, even though Cyrus did not know him, know God. And that the saints, God's people, God's covenant people, surely shall one say, in the Lord have I righteousness and strength. That one comes to understand that and he confesses that with joy. The idea of glorying is that one is, that one is boasting in the Lord that he is rejoicing with great joy. He relies on God. He, rely, he trusts in Christ. He rejoices with great joy. He makes that confession. In the Lord have I righteousness and strength. He gives me the strength that I need. Even to him shall men come. And all that are incensed against him, the flip side, all those that are incensed against him, they shall be ashamed. But there will be God's people who shall be justified and shall glory, as verse 25 says, in the Lord shall all the seed of Israel, all the seed of Israel, that God gathering his people there would be a remnant from among the blood descendants of, of Jacob. And there would also be the gathering of the nations. And this is a passage that speaks of that. That God said, look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth. Verse 22. Look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none else. And that word goes forth. 
concerning the sovereignty of God, concerning the efficacious grace, justification by faith alone, and that there would be people, many would reject it, but there would be people who would hear and who would believe. All the chosen ones, all those who are in Christ, the seed of Abraham, that the seed of Abraham is Christ. And if we are in Christ, then we are heirs. That God would save his people who would make, and that they would make this confession they would believe in the Savior, make this confession, and they have joy. They glory in the Lord. What a comfort we have. That we know. When you know that it's, it's all of grace, you glory in the Lord. If you thought... You were justified by your works. If you thought you were justified on the basis of your faith, then one could have something to boast about. They could boast in themselves. I, I open my heart. That's why I'm saved. Boasting what I've done. Or look at one's own works and they, they're looking at their own works, trusting in themselves, their own activities. One who understands this truth, there's nothing you can boast about. You don't boast in yourself. He that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. And the one who hears and understands and confesses from the heart this truth, glories in the Lord. It's all of him. And desire to thank him. And then to show our thankfulness in our life. Desiring to praise him with joy and gladness in our souls. May we thank our God glorying in him. And may we praise and thank him and faithfully bear witness to the truth of the gospel to others as the Lord opens up the door. Amen. Let us pray. O oh Lord, our God, our Father, we are very thankful, O oh Lord, for thy grace. What a comfort it is to know that we are righteous in Christ before thee, our God. Our salvation is all of thee, and to have peace with thee we are so thankful that we know, though our conscience accuses us, that we've grossly transgressed all the commandments. We believe that what Christ has done. We believe the gospel, and we know that our faith is a gift. We give thee thanks. And we know that it's only, it's only that Thou hast chosen us unconditionally and sent our Lord to die for us. And we're thankful for the spirit that doth work within us. Father, grant us grace faithfully to bear witness to others. And we look for opportunities to speak to others about the good news. The wonderful news that we've heard and by thy grace believe. And may we show in our life our thankfulness to thee in all that we do. Bless all thy people for Christ's sake. Amen.